Kodak, the brand known well for film and point-and-shoot cameras, is working to push its way into the smartphone market with a device called the Ektra, a 21-megapixel smartphone that's a throwback to a camera the company released back in 1941. But a new device isn't the only thing Kodak is incorporating into their brand in an effort to bring back old memories. Along with the new smartphone, Kodak is reverting back to a logo design strikingly similar to logos from 1971 and 2006. Plus, in today's app-driven world, there are about as many to-do list apps as there are things to do. I'll take some time to tell you about the to-do list app I've been using for the last several months, along with some tips and tricks that can help you create a more powerful workflow. All this and more on The Rightly Designed Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is the Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is the Rightly Designed Show. So Kodak is getting a new logo design, a little bit of a rebrand, but in an interesting little turn of events, Kodak is actually reverting back to a logo that they had used previously and actually in two different instances. So there's an article uh, on a site called Petapixel, which dives into this logo rebrand or redesign or kind of turning back to an older version of the Kodak logo. And it says, Kodak got the photo world talking this week by announcing its new photographer-focused uh, uh, photographer Ektra smartphone. Along with the camera, the iconic camera brand has also unveiled a new logo, one that's a rebirth of an old logo. The new logo was created by the New York-based studio Work Order, and it replaces the red Kodak wordmark logo that was introduced in 2006. The new logo looks strikingly similar to the classic Kodak logo used between 1971 and 2006. That one was designed by uh, graphic designer Peter Ostrich and features a red and yellow shape that's reminiscent of a camera shutter and, a ye and yellow beams of light. As you can see, and uh, I'll leave links to the show notes so you can actually take a look uh, at these, these logos and the different examples they're using. Kodak's new logo uses uh, this iconic shape, except the brand name has been moved to the right side with vertical lettering to look like the sprocket holes on the edges of film strips. Here's what the updated history of the Kodak logo now looks like. So what they've got here is a little bit of a diagram, which is really interesting to look through. It's got the original logo, which is just a circle. It's a black circle with the letters EKC all kind of intermixed. That's the original Kodak logo. Then they go on to a logo that's just the word Kodak, so a letter mark that's you know with a yellow background, red type, and then like a black, uh, and then a black border. And then they've got a page curl with Kodak under it, so that's the next one. Then it goes on to the logo from 2006, which, as they mentioned, is just a letter mark, which means it's just the word Kodak, and then they have like a yellow line underneath it. Um, so that's kind of where they, they fast forwarded to in 2006, but between 2000 or 1971 and 2006, they had two variations of what they're calling the classic logo. So this uh, logo is a yellow background with a red 
rectangle on top of it with rounded corners and then beams of yellow shooting out of it with the word Kodak to the right. Again, I'm trying to, you know, describe this over audio. It's a little bit tricky to, to describe, but um, the bottom line point is that they've actually gone back to this logo. The, these two, a logo similar to these two. So if you go to rightlydesignshow.com slash 31, I'll leave uh, links to this article and as well as I'll post these images so you can take a look at them. But it's really interesting. It's a really interesting move here that you don't, you don't frequently see when it comes to branding, uh, specifically with logo designs. What you'll see is you, you've got, you know, the really famous brands that we're all really familiar with, like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Nike, a lot of the ones that uh, I've mentioned in the past. These brands stay fairly true to their original designs, meaning they reach up to, they, early on, they go through some pretty significant shifts usually. Like if you look at the very original McDonald's logo, it's vastly different from what they, they ended up with maybe five, ten years after that. And then once they kind of settled in on the golden arches and it became a significant brand element, something with which they're synonymous, it just kind of stuck. So you kind of notice that happening here with Kodak. But in a little bit of a different way, it would be as if, if we were to draw a parallel, it would be as if McDonald's early on had the, the golden arches or at an early stage, which they did. But then they decided to switch to something completely different, say, you know, a word mark, which was, you know, the word McDonald's. And that was their whole logo. And then they decide, oh, give it about 10, 20 years. Then they decide, you know what, that, those golden arches really did work well. We're going to switch back to that. So that's kind of what Kodak has done here. They've used... That logo, which was a little bit more synonymous, a little bit more recognizable. And when you see it, you'll probably remember it. You'll probably remember it from the 90s and the, you know, the, the film and the disposable cameras that you could buy. You know, a lot of people would buy before they went on vacation. That was really what Kodak's brand was. But now that we're in the smartphone era, you know, that type of product has kind of shifted to the wayside. But regardless of that fact, they seem to be kind of... As I mentioned in the intro, they seem to be doing a little bit of a throwback. So number one, they're switching back to this previous logo or something similar to it. And number two, they're creating a brand new smartphone. And uh, I mentioned it previously. It's called the Ektra. And again, there's a separate article, which I will link to in the show notes, which actually details, if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about the smartphone itself, it's a smartphone for photographers. It's got a really powerful camera and all that, but it's got a very classic look and feel. It's got that whole black leather casing look. So if you can imagine what an old point and shoot type camera looks like, you know, from the seventies, that's what this kind of what this new smartphone looks like. So it's an interesting look, an interesting style, but when a lot of brands today are trying to step into a more modern and simplistic look and feel, Kodak seems to be going against the grain a little bit. So I mentioned the term de-branding in a recent uh, past episode. And de-branding, in essence, is uh, what a lot of people are doing, a lot of companies are doing, is they're removing lettering altogether from their type from their logo. So they're not using typography at all. MasterCard was an example I used. Starbucks has done this. A number of other brands have done this where they're removing all the type and they're just using an image or a symbol to represent their brand. Kodak seems to be moving kind of in the opposite direction. While they are no longer using a letter mark, meaning they're not using just words, uh, they're still using words, but they're just kind of incorporating it in an older version of their logo. In addition to that, as I mentioned, they're kind of doing a throwback to the previous 
type of camera that they used to offer back in the 70s and in that type of time period. So it's always interesting to watch. And again, I point I point out these bigger brands. I like to cover them from time to time in some of the episodes just because there's a lot that we can learn from it. No one company is doing it right in the sense that uh, every single company has a different strategy for what's going to work best for them. What works for McDonald's may not work for Kodak. What works for Burger King may not work for Nike. Same thing with our brands. We have to be flexible enough to understand what makes us different, what makes us unique, and what is going to work best to help us get our message out there. Part of the reason from what I can tell just as an outside observer is, you know, in the 90s, even the 80s and 90s, even a little bit earlier, it was really when Kodak had their heyday. It was when the uh, the digital realm started kicking in, when a lot of these digital cameras started picking up steam. And of course, when the iPhone finally came out, Kodak was really behind the was really behind the curve on that. Uh, they were really slow to begin adopting these new technologies, and it really hurt them. It hurt their brand, and it kind of stunted their growth. Um, so you see now, uh, Kodak has been known for. They've built a brand that is synonymous with the film, with the older cameras, with the point and shoot, and so you can almost see them leveraging that brand identity a little bit with this older style logo design, as well as the quote unquote new product, which kind of looks like the old one. So interesting to see, interesting to watch. And again, plenty of things to learn from there. Again, just go to rightlydesignedshow.com slash 31 and you can uh, read this article on Petapixel. They've also got an article, as I mentioned, that breaks down the specific features and you can actually see photos of this new camera smartphone that they've come out with. So lots of interesting things to look at there. So today's main topic I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about today was a to-do list manager. You know, there's tons of to-do lists out there that you can buy for your smartphone, for the web, for your desktop. And as I mentioned in the intro, there's about as many to-do list apps out there as there are things to do. There are just a ton of them out there. I've tried, I can't even, I've lost track of how many I've tried, but I've been using another, uh, a newer one, or I don't know actually how new it is, but I've been trying a, a different one from what I've been using in the past, which was Things. And it's it's turned out to be a really powerful tool for my workflow. So I'll be talking about that here shortly. But first, I want to mention the sponsor of this episode, which is FreshBooks. And you may have heard me talk about FreshBooks in the past. FreshBooks is an online cloud-based invoicing system that allows you to, to track and manage your expenses, easily send invoices and accept payments in a number of different uh, methods. Makes it super easy to do all of those things. Also, you can track time. A new feature I found myself using recently, which is super useful. If you ever need to track time, like if you ever need to bill clients or customers by the hour or something like that, what it enables you to do is set up a reoccurring profile. So like, for example, what you can do is you can, you know, track your time with FreshBooks. So all the time you're spending on a project or, you know, if you're doing consultation or whatever it is that you do, uh, you can track that time with FreshBooks and then you can have it set up a reoccurring profile for your client or customer so that once every week or once every two weeks or once a month, it automatically sends out an invoice with uh, all of the time that you have taken on that particular project and it totals it all out and automatically sends that out to the client. You don't have to do a thing. So there's a lot of, you know, speaking, since this, this episode's a little bit, uh, you know, focused on productivity, there is a ton of things in FreshBooks that will save you a lot of time. That's one thing. For example, if you ever have the problem where people aren't necessarily paying their invoices in a prompt manner, 
Uh, FreshBooks has the ability for you to set 30, 60, 90 days or whatever time period you want. You can have it send out reminders to say that you have an invoice pending and it's been pending for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. So you a lot of automated features that are built into FreshBooks that make it really easy to use, but also save you a lot of time. I know, you know, when you're running a business or when you're a freelancer or you're independent uh, contractor, whatever it is that you do, time is of the essence, especially when you're trying to take on a lot of things yourself. FreshBooks help you solve that problem. Uh, for listeners of the Rightly Designed Show, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial. So you can jump in there, you can try it out, find out find out if it is for you. I think you'll really like it. Uh, I've been using it for about two years now, and I've uh, never even considered going anywhere else. So you can do that at gofreshbooks.com slash rightly designed. Again, that's gofreshbooks.com slash rightly designed and enter rightly designed in the how did you hear about us section. With a ton of WordPress themes on the market, finding one to help you accomplish your goals can be a bear. Notable Themes takes a new approach by offering niche-specific themes and plugins. From building your email list to gaining more followers and boosting sales, every theme is crafted to help you strategically grow your audience so you can spend more time on what you do best. Best of all, themes are super easy to set up and are accompanied with a step-by-step video tutorial. It's time to get a site that does more than just look pretty. Hey, that's Notable Themes. Design. Branding. Marketing. WordPress. Helping you build a better brand through the fusion of form and function. This is the Rightly Designed Show. Okay, so today's main topic I wanted to talk about today is a new to-do app that I've been using recently, which has come in really handy. So I mentioned this in an episode a while back, but for the longest time, I've been using an app called Things by Cultured Code. Now, this is an app that's for iOS, so it works for iPhone, iPad, and I think they also even have an app for iWatch as well. Um... But I I kept running into an issue with it where I just needed the ability to be able to collaborate. It's a really powerful app. I still like it and I use it for, you know, some of my smaller like personal to-do lists. It's a really powerful app. I really like it. It's it's got uh, a great user interface. It's really quick and easy to use. But I just hit some limitations, especially with the type of design work and then the amount of projects I'm starting to take on. And also, you know, the thing that kind of kicked it over was the fact that I needed to be able to collaborate with other people on projects, and that just was not a possibility with things. So that sent me in search of something that would enable me to do that, and I heard on a podcast a while back uh, an interview with the creator of an app called Todoist. So Todoist is the new app that I've started using, or the app that's, I guess, new for me. I think it's been around for a while. But Todoist is interesting in the sense that it follows a similar methodology to things, but it ha- it's a, quite a bit more powerful. So one of the main things it enables me to do is collaborate, and that's one of the main things that kind of got me to switch to it. So what I'm going to do, I'll just kind of jump through some of the main features of To-do- uh, Todoist, which made me kind of start to shift that direction. 
So one of the things that it uh, enables you to do is that you're able to add comments and file attachments. Now, some of the features I'm going to be kind of rattling off here, some of them apply to Todoist has a free account and then they have like a paid account and their paid account or premium it is. It's really affordable. Let me actually just take a quick look at what it is. Yeah, it's just $28.99 a year. So you're talking $2.50 a month. So it's really affordable for their premium plan. Um, but even if you just want some of their basic features and you're interested in tr giving Todoist a shot, which I recommend at least giving it a try, uh, they've got a free version that you can use. Uh, but it's got comments and file attachments, which is essential when you're when you're working, especially in my field where you're working with a lot of different files. I'm working with you know documents. I'm working with Photoshop files and mockups and all these different things. But you can add comments to each specific task. You can always keep up to date with you know the latest changes or what's happening, and you can attach you know PDFs, spreadsheets, photos, everything that you need to write there within this right within a task. So that works out great. You can do mobile and email reminders. So you can get reminded about upcoming tasks via email or mobile text message. So if you want to get reminded about something that you're working on at a specific time, they make that really easy. You can also do location alerts, which is great. If you've ever, if you've got an iOS device and you ever used reminders on iOS device, you can, you know, you can say to Siri, uh, when I get home, remind me to take out the trash. You know, you can do that on an iPhone. Well, uh, to do is let you do something similar. So you can receive task alerts on iOS or Android when you arrive at a certain location. So you can create for yourself a task in Todoist to, let's say, you know, when you get to the client's location, don't forget to ask them X, Y, Z. So you can actually create location-based alerts, so which is really helpful, especially if you do something uh, that is location-based, if you're traveling a lot. It also has automatic backups built in. And if you know, you know, kind of my philosophy and things I've talked about in the past, especially when it comes to WordPress and your own workflow and the different things, I always have, want to have a backup of backups. It's very important. Uh, whenever th something can go wrong, it does go wrong, it tends to seem. So having a backup is really important. So each day Todoist takes automatic backups that are easy to restore. So every single day it's backing up all your information and it's, you know, even if you do something if you delete something you don't want to, that it, it can also come in handy there. They also have an improved, the organization within Todoist is really powerful. And this is one of the things that caught my eye because half of being productive is about being organized, being able to find something quickly. Uh, everything has a place. So that's where Todoist really has shined. So they've got an improved label system. Um, which allows you to, you know, it's got auto completion and they've got color coding and it makes it really simple for you to be able to label specific types of tasks that you're working with. They also have custom filters. So one of the things that you can do within Todoist is you can filter things by date, by priority, by project. Similar to a lot of other to-do list apps out there, what Todoist allows you to do is to create a project. You know, these projects show up in your sidebar. Most to-do list apps do that. So you create a project. And then within the project, you can create a list of tasks, right? That's pretty normal. But Todoist takes this a step further, and this is what really caught my eye as well, when I started getting into some of the more complex projects that I work on. You're able to create not only projects, but you can create sub-projects. So you can create a project and then a project within that project. Sounds a little bit, a, a little bit complicated probably offhand, 
and it enables you to take organization and structuring all the different things that you're working on that much further. In addition to that, not only can you create tasks, you know, you would create tasks that you would want to accomplish within each project, you can also create subtasks. So you can create a task and then 10 tasks under that task. So it really has a hierarchical approach to the way that you can organize and manage all the things that you want to get done. Or if you just want to use it with just, you know, one project and a list of tasks, you can do that too. So one of the things I like about it is it, it offers quite a bit of flexibility that I've never really seen in a number of these other different project management or to-do list apps. They also got a really powerful search. So if you're ever needing to just find something, something specific on the fly, they make that really, really powerful. So it just uses a keyword search to receive, to, uh, to retrieve a task that you're trying to find. So if you're working, if you're looking for something specific, even if it's been completed already. So if you've, you know, you've got a massive archive, you know, last week I finished this project, but I need to grab the attachment from it. I can't find it anywhere else. Well, you can just search and you can pull up that task. And I think it even searches through things that are in your trash. So that can come in really helpful. Another interesting thing that they have worked in is they call it karma. Um, but what it, but they've got this little area and you can turn it on and off, but they actually track your productivity. So what it is, is it's got this little line chart and it can, it tells you, you know, how many tasks you completed today, how many tasks you've completed this week. And it gives you a little line chart that tells you relative over the week if you're completing more or less. So if you're creating more today, you'll see that line chart go up. If you're creating less, it'll go down. So you can kind of get a gauge for how you're performing in terms of your own productivity. If you're someone who wants to really get more things done in a day and you want to be able to push yourself, that thing can come in really handy just to give you an idea and a gauge with how much you're getting done in a day. So that that can come in pretty helpful as well. It also has a number of different uh, connections that you can, yeah, it can integrate with other things pretty seamlessly. So iCal, if you use iCalendar, which is on a Mac, it can connect to that really easily. You can also uh, email tasks to yourself. So if you want to be able, if you're on your smartphone, you're out and about, and for whatever reason, you're not using the app, or it's easier to do that, you can add tasks via email. You can also create project templates. So if you want to create a, a collection of of templates, you can do that really easily. And it syncs really well. This one's pretty important. Uh, Things by Cultured Code does this pretty well itself. But I've used a, a number of different apps out there that are really slow to sync. I have to sync them manually. And so you always end up with two, you know, you've got a, a, a to-do list that's on like your smartphone and then you come home to your desktop and they're just out of sync or there's some errors or it's just slow or you didn't remember to manually sync it and so some tasks are there and some aren't and then you miss things and so it can cause some serious problems but uh, Todoist has done a really good job of making sure that uh, all that everything stays synced but it does so instantly it's very quick and it does that really well so they've also got some uh, additional features as well I know I'm kind of rattling off a, lo- a lot of features but hopefully those kind of give you some ideas in terms of some ways that it can actually help you know Streamline the productivity process. I did mention that you could do tasks via email, comments, automatic backups, productivity uh, tracking, and project templates and that sort of thing. So that comes in also really handy. But one of the things, the main things that Todoist has started to help me to do, and, you know, aside from all the different features specifically, is to streamline my workflow that much more. So 
just just to give you a quick idea, this is kind of my workflow, and it follows it follows the methodology that was at home in things, and which is very much at home in Todoist, which is that all throughout the day, it's you know things come you know things come up that you need to do. You receive an email that you need you know has to be taken care of. You get a new product order if you sell products or this or that. There's always things coming at you that ne- that need to get done. So the first step, of course, is to, the most important step is to collect that. It's to put it in a place where you can then process it later. So, you know, you need to collect that information. So if you get an email or if you get a text or if you get uh, a phone call or something that is action oriented, you need to, what most people do is they write that down. You know, the worst case scenario, someone writes that down on a sticky note, they stick that on their computer and then they forget about it, right? That's how things get missed or things don't get done. So what I've personally made it a habit of doing is, you know, Todoist and things and a lot of these places have an inbox. And so what I do is anytime there's something new that comes in, I quickly add something to that inbox. So if I get, you know, revisions to a design project I'm working on via email, copy and paste the main notes, I put it in a comment, I title it, and then I toss that in the inbox. So I just toss that thing that I need to do in the inbox. So then a couple of times a day, what I'll do is I'll go through that inbox one by one and I will place them in the specific project to which they are assigned. I'll add a label or something that may help me retrieve it later if that's important. And then I assign myself a due date. So then, so this is kind of processing. Step one would be collecting. I collect the different things that I need to do. And then step two is process it. One of the general rule of thumbs that a lot of people like to toss out there is if you can get it done in five minutes, don't file it or, you know, organize it, you know, you know, file it away or anything like that. Just do it. So I do find myself doing that often as I'm going through my inbox and as I'm organizing and processing the different things that I've been collecting in there. If I can do it in less than five minutes, I'll typically just do it. I'll just get it done. If it takes me longer than five minutes, then I'll usually uh, just file it away, give myself a due date, you know, whenever that's going to be. It depends on how complex it is. And of course, that com- that depends upon the actual workload that I currently have. So that gives you a little bit of an idea. Then the last thing I would do, obviously, is go through my task list for that day. So things by Cultured Code was great because it had, you know, a list of things that were due today. But uh, Todoist actually has another feature, which is really helpful, which takes it a step further. And it shows you all the tasks in order due for the next seven days. So, you know, if I can get through all the ones that are due today, I can jump on to tomorrow, the next day, and so on. So it really helps you get a bird's eye view of all the different things that you have assigned. So one of the things I typically recommend is kind of follow that basic method methodology. I think it's very, very loosely based on uh, GDT, you know, getting things done. Um... But, you know, first step, toss things in that inbox. Number two, process them. Number three, get them done. So, uh, you know, there's always that, you know, following that process really helps ensure that things get done. And a huge important part of getting those things done and really, really utilizing these task management programs effectively is that due date is forcing you to get something done by a certain date ensures that it does get done. So because I've seen, you know, and I've, I've spoken with a number of different people in the past who use really powerful software. You know, a lot of times it's not necessarily the software that's the problem. Technically, a lot of the things that I'm describing that you, you could probably get a lot of things done with about 90% of the to-do list apps 
out there. But if you're not using it effectively, if you're not assigning yourself due dates, if you're not organizing things, if you're not following a, a methodical process to get things done efficiently, then that software is not going to really do you much good. So I mentioned Todoist here because if you've already got a to-do list app that you're using and it's not quite working out that well, or if you just want to kind of push things a step further to become that much more organized and that much more efficient, I think that Todoist is a great thing to explore. I recommend just trying it out for sure. So three tips that I wanted to mention in this episode regarding Todoist. Uh, some things that I've discovered as I've been using it that weren't quite as prominent uh, you know, in their features that have just helped me get more things done. So if you want to give Todoist a try, you might want to try these as well to see if they help you save some time. So number one is they have a quick, ta- a quick add task feature that you can use to quickly add things. You can add them anywhere, but you can you can also just quickly add them to your task list. So for example, I can set up a short code so that, uh, you know, let's say I hit, I'm using a Mac. So let's say I hit option space and that's what I've set this quick add. You know, uh, that's the specific short code that I've added. If I hit option space, a little bar pops up and I can just start typing. I can say enter or, you know, create a revised version of this book jacket for this client uh, tomorrow. So, and then I hit enter. So I type that sentence out. And what that does is Todoist titles that for me, assigns it to that specific project, and then assigns a due date of tomorrow to that task and then adds it to my inbox. Uh, or it adds to a specific project if I mention that. And I can do that just with this, you know, a few stroke of the keys. So as you're going throughout your day, you can just type out those sentences. You know, if you want to add a reminder, you can say, remind me to, you know, pick up the color copies when I get to, you know, FedEx office or whatever it is. And you can just type that out and you can kind of get a feel for how it's it's recognizing what you're typing. If you say do this tomorrow, it's going to add that a due, date, a due date of tomorrow. If you say do this next week, it's going to assign it a week out. So you can just really quickly type these things out, not only add them to your inbox, but you can label them, you can assign due dates, all they're right on the fly as you're typing. So as I mentioned, as you're going throughout your day, you can just quickly add things to your to-do list and file them at the same time right as you think about them. Because that's one of the key things I think in the few, you know, in the, in the times I've looked back, the, the times when things fall through the cracks is when they don't get properly organized. If something gets jotted down on a napkin when you're out and about or something, they don't get properly filed. That's how they fall through the cracks. This little feature enables you to, as they come to mind, you can type them out real quick, enter them in Todoist, and then you ensure that you have them so they don't get lost. Another one that's come in really handy and saved me a lot of time is task templates. So I did mention this earlier as one of their you know, features that they have, but they're really powerful in terms of how you can set them up and organize them. Now what Todoist enables you to do is you can go in and you can actually create a, like a template, so a project template. So what would this, you know, what would this look like? You can actually, you know, you create a, a project with a list of tasks and you, actually, you can actually save that list. You can export that entire project to your computer and save it as a file and then re-upload it later if you ever wanted to. I don't do that just because I don't want to have to upload and, and you know, uh, save and upload this every single time I want to create a new project. It works great if you want to be able to archive them and just save them somewhere on your computer. But what I actually do is just create one of these, I guess you could call it a quote unquote dummy project. So here's an example. So when I'm launching a new WordPress theme, 
or a new website, there's a lot of steps involved. There's a lot of things I have to go through in order to make sure that that website or that theme is ready to go live or to be launched. Uh, this would include things like, you know, checking, uh, I have to check all the different browsers. So I want to make sure that this thing is working properly in Safari, on Chrome, Internet Explorer, Opera. I go down the whole list. I also have to make sure that it's working properly across a number of different devices, iOS devices going all the way back to, you know, iPhone 4, you know, all the way up to iPhone 7 and all the different, uh, and there's pretty much an endless array of Android devices. So I like to try to get at least a pretty good gamut of those. So I have a checklist of all the different specific devices. And those are subtasks under one task that says browser testing, right? So I've got browser testing, testing is one task. Then under that, I've got a whole bunch of subtasks for all the specific browsers. Then I've got device testing. And, you know, I test all the specific, I list all the devices, you know, under that specific, uh, under that task. So subtasks under that main task. And so as you can see, as you kind of get the, you get the picture that it's, it's pretty complex. So there's a lot of different things that can incorporate, you know, into one launching of a website. There's also things to check, like, you know, check all the forms, check all the links, make sure that they're all working properly. Uh, check the different uh, screen sizes to, you know, of different areas of the website, check the functionality. There's tons of different little things to check. And they're things that have to be checked with every single project. So I create this big old uh, long checklist with all these specific elements and features in it, and I save it in a dummy project. Every single time it become, you know, a time comes to launch a brand new website project or a new WordPress theme, I just copy this dummy project, rename it, and then I go through it. So that's a specific example of how it has worked in my workflow. But that just kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of how you can use this feature in Todoist to save yourself some serious time. And if you have a really complex task that you find yourself doing over and over again, this can help ensure that not only do you get it right, but you can do so really quickly and efficiently. And the last tip I wanted to mention, which... Uh, I just kind of stumbled upon as I was going through. I like to bookmark a lot of useful tools and resources. Sometimes I tweet these out. Sometimes I'll include them on, you know, I'll email them out to, you know, people on my email list, that sort of thing. People are subscribers to Rightly Designed, or sometimes you'll hear me mention them here on the show. But I come across articles and tools and resources pretty frequently. And it's kind of annoying to deal with that. Sometimes you either have to copy and paste the link into a Word document or into Evernote and you always have to hunt it. Where'd that go? And you always have a hard time finding them. But what I've done is actually created a project in Todoist specifically for bookmarks. And so what they have is a browser extension. So, you know, if you use Chrome or Safari or Firefox, or I think they even have one for IE, Internet Explorer. You can actually, as you're on a web page, hit the Todoist extension and it pops up uh, a new little like window inside the browser to add a new task. And it automatically links, so it gives you the title of the page and automatically a link to the page that you're on. So you can just click that browser extension and hit enter and it will just add a link to the web page that you're on to your inbox. Or you can file it right there on the on the fly if you want to. But a lot of times what I do is I just toss these things in my inbox as I find them. And then I go through and I organize them later, as I mentioned previously, as just a part of my daily workflow. So this comes in super handy. It can save a lot of time if you find yourself constantly on the web and finding different useful resources or things that you want to bookmark or save or even things that you want to just turn into tasks that need to be 
uh, you know, action oriented, they've got this browser extension that makes it really easy to do that. Same thing for like iOS. I don't personally have an Android device. Uh, I'm going to guess they have something, you know, an equivalent to this. But if you're working on an iOS device, so an, an iPad or an iPhone, they do, you know, right there within Chrome, you can turn on a Todoist integration. So just like I mentioned with the browser, you know, with Chrome and Safari and you click a button and it, you know, it adds a, a new task to your inbox. You can do the exact same thing on an iOS device with that mobile browser. So same thing if you're out and about, you're on your phone, you see something useful or some sort of, you know, a web page or an article or something that you want to save for later or turn into a task. You can do that right there on the fly on your smartphone. So hopefully that's been kind of useful. I wanted to take some time and just break down some of the some of the features that are built into this task management system. Again, this is Todoist. And if you'd like to look through and kind of comb through some of the features I've mentioned, I've got links to a lot of these different things on today's show notes, which is, again, just rightlydesignedshow.com slash 31. So I do recommend you take just a little bit of time. Uh, maybe try the app out again. It is free. They've got it for, you know, iOS. They got it for Mac, PC, and then it just works in the browser. So that's another thing that's great about it. it makes it really universal. And of course, it syncs across all these different devices. So again, I just wanted to take a little bit of time. That's something I'll probably do here on the Rightly Design Show from time to time is just share a useful tool that's been saving me time or, or making things more efficient or effective in terms of a daily workflow. I know for no matter what it is you do, whether you're running a business or you've, you're building an online platform or a blog uh, or just building a brand in general, getting more things done is pretty much a universal hope for all of us uh, you know, in different capacities. So as always, if you have a question for the Rightly Designed show, feel free to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question, where I've got a little area there where you can record a question for the show, or you're welcome to write one is in as well. And I would be happy to take a listen or take a look and to see if we can turn that into a full length episode. So I do appreciate you taking the time to listen to the program today, and we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesigned.com slash show for links to these channels and more.